Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean, Droplets, Managed Kubernetes, Managed Databases, Spaces, Object Storage, Volume Block Storage, Advanced Networking Link, Virtual Private Clouds, and Cloud Firewalls, Developer Tooling with a Robust API and CLI to make sure you can interact with your infrastructure the way you want to. DigitalOcean is designed for developers and built for businesses. Join over 150,000 businesses that develop, manage, and scale their applications with DigitalOcean. Head to do.co slash changelog to get started with a $100 credit. Again, do.co slash changelog. Go time. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. Remember when I said we were working on that generics episode? It's on and popping. We're scheduled to record with Ian Lance Taylor and Robert Griesemer on July 21st at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Join in on that conversation in the Go Time FM channel of Go for Slack or subscribe to the podcast if you haven't to get the polished up episode a week or two later. Right now, John Calhoun is here with some excellent guests. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Go Time. Today, I'm joined by Deshaun Carter and Jackie Grinrod, both of which have some recent experience diving into Go for the first time. So I guess first, let's just start with Deshaun. How are you? I'm wonderful. Life is good. That's good. Uh, Jackie, how are you? I'm doing pretty great. It's been busy. I mean, we just finished a virtual conference for the first time and it was in EU time, but that was exciting and everything's going really well, all things considered. Awesome. So I'm excited to jump into this because I think a lot of people are switching to Go these days and it's always nice to talk about what they should be focusing on that first week. I often feel like that first week makes or breaks somebody's experience with a language. So I guess to start off, both of you do have experience diving into Go. So I guess let's just start there and just go over a little bit of what you two have been up to recently and how it pertains to this or how it led to this topic. Yeah, sure. So I guess just a quick introduction. My name's Jackie, as you mentioned, and I'm a developer advocate at HashiCorp, which is one of the driving reasons I really wanted to start getting more into Go. It's my goal to eventually be able to contribute to the feature development of some of our products. Otherwise, I got Canada Top 30 Under 30 Developers, so that's like a fun talking point if anyone wants to talk to me about it. It's still a surprise to me. It's been a year. but <laughs> And then coming out of being a DevOps practitioner for the last five years with a focus in the healthcare environment. So yeah, I was getting started with Go next, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was your experience learning Go? Like, how did you go about doing it? And I think yours is probably one of the more unique approaches. Yeah. So I started learning it. This is actually my third attempt learning it. I've tried to learn it at previous jobs a few times and there just a few other times and there just didn't really feel like there was enough support or time to dive into it. And this time I started learning it on a live stream straight from installing Go. I started live streaming. I went to the document page and was like, I don't even know how to run this, but here we go. (laughs) Let's get started. And that was in preparation for my interviews at HashiCorp because I learned that all of our products are basically in Go. So I did all that live streaming and I was solving exorcism challenges on live stream, which was a bit more of a dive in than I thought it was going to be initially because you went straight from Hello World to I got Space Age next, which had a lot of things I just wasn't ready for, like the um, custom stuff. I was going to have it open on my other screen to reference that, but (laughs) it was a pretty big dive and just kind of it felt like pair programming with basically the Internet and whoever wanted to show up, which was pretty terrifying. But it was really nice because it ended up being a lot of people that already know Go and who are really friendly. And they ended up being really good teachers because they'd kind of come by and try to like guide you the right way instead of telling you the answer, which wasn't what I expected from that experience. So it was really nice. I have seen that. I, I kind of lurk and go and help and I like to jump in, whether it's something I understand or not. Uh, hey, let's ask questions. Let's think out loud. I'm a big fan of pair programming, not just for like the exercise, but for how much I think things stick. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb since I didn't do any programming on this. I'm going to assume that 
it was stickier for you. So yeah, we'll just start there. And then at that time, I'll introduce myself. My name is Deshaun. I work for VMware. I'm a Tanzu Solution Engineer. I've been doing development for 20 plus years. And yeah, I love my job. And we're paying attention to the news. The world is going crazy. And I think it was New Jersey. They decided, hey, sorry, we can't get your checks, your unemployment checks, because our systems run on COBOL and we don't have any way to help us. And we're stuck. We're backed up. So that was in the news today. And I was like, oh, yeah, let me go. Let's check out COBOL and let's do a thing. And it was a fun little exercise, just like focus on COBOL, do some stuff. And then a couple weeks later, I got a phone call or I got an email and said, hey, there's a thing. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do the same thing that we did with Go. Let's jump in. Uh, And I did the same thing as Jackie did. I jumped in to the documentation. I kind of looked for some like the code camp setups, but I I went to the documentation, you know, kind of jump through, get a base level understanding. But then instead of going to the the deep dive, she kind of jumped off the high board as soon as she could doggy paddle. I said, "Mm, I'm going to go and sit on the beach a little bit. I'm going to read the docs and I'm going to go look at GitHub projects uh, that have issues that maybe say they're good for a first timer. And that's the route that I went. It sounds like you both started with the docs and installing things. I guess one of the reasons I find that interesting is that I feel more and more these days, a lot of people immediately go for a book or a tutorial or something different. So what caused you both to jump into the docs as your first choice? So I guess in my case, I started with the exorcism exercises and I was like, well, this is cool, but I don't actually have Go installed. And that kind of led me to go straight to the docs because I was trying to answer the questions it was giving me, but you know, I don't have it installed yet. I don't know what a lot of the terminology was that I was trying to figure out what to do with it. So kind of lots of doc references. And then I also had viewers that were linking me to a lot of other references to help. And I actually have those somewhere over here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for me, the docs were good. And that kind of helped. You talked about getting a book into Kansas City, 1999. It was a dot-com boom. You know, it was exciting. Lots of things. I didn't want to say no to anything. So, oh, you want me to do go? I'd go to the bookstore and yeah, I'd buy a book on go. And then I'd go home and study, 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 you know, cram, cram, cram. And that was kind of the, the path. But today, especially with OSS projects, it's easier. It's easier to get into. Uh, and I was just trying to think back. Did I ever see a Perl readme hello world? Did I ever see a Java hello world? I took both of those in college, but I don't remember seeing anything that was, so here's how you install, here's how you do it. That was an hour-long lecture on how to get that first one. So yeah, I'm comfortable landing there, and that's how I landed there. Let's go to the docs first. Okay. I, I definitely think that makes sense, especially because sometimes it's challenging when you grab a book, and install instructions are one of the things that can sometimes be very hard to keep up to date in a printed book. You know, just because all these new things come out, you never really know what's going to change or like Mac releases a new update that all of a sudden you have to say yes to all these permissions and people are like, what is going on? It's definitely challenging, whereas docs are a nice, you know, living document that they can keep updated at all times. So I guess one of the questions I have for both of you is that you both jumped to the docs and you're both looking to install Go. Did either of you start with the Go Playground? I didn't even know that was a thing. I did not. <laughs> no, I started with the docs and then I got linked uh, Go by example and was checking that out next. Okay. I wonder if there's a way that that could be better referenced, I guess. Can you throw that link in the Slack? Uh, play.golang.org. Yeah. So basically the idea here is it's like a little sandbox environment that as long as you're using the standard library, you can jump in and write Go code and it'll actually, you can get it to format your code, you can get it to you know pull in some imports and you can run your code and it'll spit out the output there. And it's a little bit different from running locally. Like, you know, obviously opening up a file is going to be trickier. And there are some different aspects like that, but you can also share links to your source code. And I've found that for somebody who is on the fence about the whole thing, who just wants to see, like, you know, let me mess with it a little bit, it's a great spot where they can go without that overhead of, you need to install it, you need to figure all this stuff out. You can just write some code. You touch on a a really good topic, right? That was a thing. If you've done the Perl and the Python and, and others, I didn't know what was the environment. Like, what did it look like? Did I have a sandbox or was I installing things all over my laptop? And that was a concern. Like, that was one of those things that I didn't know about the language. And that was one of those thoughts that I had early on. Like, should I start with a Docker image? Like, where should I be doing this? So I explored. So after installing it, I kind of explored, like, what else did it do? 
but yeah, that was definitely a concern of mine, you know, with experience going into this is like, yeah, what am I getting myself into? For me, that's a challenge because the more experience you have programming, the harder it is to empathize with the person who has less experience. You know, after you've installed 10 different languages, you kind of get to that point where you expect certain things to pop up and have to debug some stuff. But somebody the first time, like I can think back the first time I tried to learn Ruby on Rails, I gave up because I couldn't get stuff installed. And this was yep. back when I was in college. And I just was like, I can't do this. It's not working. I give up. And that's, that's always a disappointing outcome when somebody's trying to, you know, they're excited about something new and that's what happens. Absolutely. I feel your pain. I really relate to that. Especially with Ruby on Rails. <laughs> I banged my head on those rails quite a bit. I think it's better now. Mine was Python with the 2.7 and the 3.x. I hit my head against that a lot. And the, the fun thing about that feeling of like being like, why can't I get this? What's wrong with me? Is our professor actually played, oh, I forget who did it, but the lightning talk. It's like three minutes, but a bunch of different languages. And that was actually the moment where I watched that. And I was like, okay, maybe it's not just me. All these languages just have different things going on. And that kind of made it feel a lot more approachable, just knowing it wasn't like, I'm not just getting it. And other people have had these problems and they're calling it out. It's nice that your professor did that because I think, I don't know, every language is just so frustrating in some of those senses. Okay, so you both jumped into the docs. I guess the next question I'd have would be, you know, what was the first thing you started to code? You know, if somebody's trying to learn Go, what do you suggest? I think, Jackie, you said exorcism. Is that where you would suggest people start? So I, I found it worked really well for me because you'd put your solution in, you could see how other people solved it, but you'd also have mentors come and comment. And the really nice thing for me about the mentors was that they're really good at giving like iterative feedback. So they'd give me like some feedback and be like, here's how you can solve this a little bit more elegantly. And then I would do that. And then they'd come back and be like, okay, so now that you've done that, here's like another step you can do until we got to like that final iteration. And I do have all those commits like tracked so I can kind of watch the way that I grew as I was learning and the feedback I got. So I would actually recommend that because it was a very nice experience for me. You got to do it and you also got like professional feedback from people who do this, which you might not always get if you're just learning a language on your own. You should capture one of those URLs if it's public. Throw one of those in there too, because that would be interesting to go and look from my seat like we were kind of both jumping into this and uh i kind of yeah i did not jump into the deep end i sat back and after i did hello world on my mac i went over to my linux box and i did the same thing like oh what what are the differences i'm just trying to understand again the ecosystem is easier and uh yeah so i didn't capture a whole lot of my uh examples and i didn't have the mentorship that's why i think I'm going to still assume that you have a stickier experience with the language. But some of the differences that I was looking at was I was thinking, how do I get this into a Docker? How do I automate this? What does it look like? And one of the early things that stuck out was, wait, my GitHub URLs are built in? What? I don't have to like pull anything down. This is just out of the box. That was something that really tickled my fancy. That automatic integration with, oh, that's where it is. You can compile it and that's it. That was an exciting learning for me. One of the upsides to the Go path, if you're using it, is that that just works out of the box and it's great. The unfortunate side effect of the way Go modules are now is that I think it's a little bit trickier. I'm guessing you might not have gotten into Go modules in the first week because realistically, there's no real reason to. I did because the path that I went was, oh, now I got to pick some projects. Well, in order to contribute to these projects, I've got to get them running. I've got to figure out, hey, did my change fix anything? I have to run the tests. Okay. So if I recall correctly, pulling something from GitHub that doesn't have, like, I think if you're using modules, I don't remember if everything you're using has to have, like, moduled versions or not. It's been a while since I've, like, messed with that side of it. Whereas, like, Otherwise, if you just were running in the Go path, you can just pull and it just grabs whatever's in master and pulls it down. And it's it's kind of a nice breath of fresh air, like you said, where it just grabs the code and you can kind of pull it and you're like, oh, I don't have to like go install this other tool chain and, and sort of to manage all these things. So I've always found that that was kind of a nice approach, especially now that GitHub has kind of become the standard for anything open source. One of them, yes. Okay, so... You're both jumping in, and I do want to take a second to step back. Jackie, you had mentioned exorcism and, and doing projects and having a mentor. 
for anybody unfamiliar, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe exorcism is a series of like predefined exercises. And then after you complete each one, you submit it. And then like, is it a random mentor that gets assigned to you? I think it's whichever mentor is available. You're correct. It's like it's a series of exercises and they have uh, different learning paths. And if you're not somebody that's comfortable with having people come look at your code, you can actually opt out of that. That was the big pull for me to go to it was that I can check off. I'd like somebody come look at it. And then you can also share your solutions with other people who are learning. So you'd see how other people tackled it as well as getting the mentor feedback. Okay. And then basically every exercise you're completing, you're getting that feedback and they can sort of give you that iterative, you know, here's one way to try to improve it. Go, you know, go try to do that and you can keep improving. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do really like that approach in the sense that once you have sort of standard exercises that you, you know, everybody can sort of build a process for that. Because my guess is that for people who mentor there a lot, they probably see the same types of progress that people can make almost every time. So they kind of almost have like a checklist of like, where's the person at in my progress list? And let me see if I can help them move to the next one, which would, I imagine, would make that process a lot more efficient. Yeah, it seemed like it was prepared answers, but they were prepared answers that fit. So it felt right still. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing I didn't mention is I was also keeping a project log while I was doing this. So any resources that got linked during my stream or stuff like that is in, available in my project log too. Awesome. That's great. Okay, so I guess that day one, you're both just sort of building these projects. What were your expectations for your first week, like when you first started? And then what did the reality turn out to be? That's a really good question. So I was learning, like I think I mentioned a couple of weeks before I had an interview because I was expecting to have some go questions in my interview. So coming into this, my expectation was basically... I just need to absorb as much Go as possible <laughs> and just hope it lands and sticks. So I was doing a few questions every day and then trying to review it and get the iterations. I didn't really expect it to go that far because my previous attempts hadn't been very successful. They were pretty frustrating for me. But this time I did get a lot more questions done than I expected to. And I did felt like I was learning it much better than I expected to, to the point that when I did get an interview question, I actually was able to complete the question and submit it with tests. So I was like, I'm learning. <laughs> so that felt really nice. That's awesome. That is. And mine, I think, was uh, academic, right? I was, uh, what is it like? And the approach that I was going in with this, I had a hypothesis that, you know, a company, an enterprise, they should kind of pick one. Like, if you want to level up everybody and you want to take it past MVP, you got to kind of like pick one. That's so I've been on the opposite side of that, you know. I worked for a company and they bought a startup and that startup decided, we don't care, just get it done. Do this and that and that. And then when they sold, they sold us a bunch of you know, hundreds of languages and all this, that, and the other 10 different UI frameworks, 10 different data frameworks all in the same package. And I was like, yeah, maybe that was started. Maybe I was biased going into it. So I just kind of had this thread where maybe if a company wants to level everybody up and be able to deliver something you know, pass MVP, maybe they should pick one. I know the different languages have their, their own strengths and weaknesses, but I feel like a lot of them can do a lot of the things, right? There's a web framework, there's, you know, slicing and dicing any which way for even for COBOL, you know, there's, hey, somebody did a web framework in COBOL. Like these are crazy things, but what does it take to kind of get up and get out? Because the other part of a startup is like, how fast can you level somebody up in a language? And it was kind of academic, but I was keeping those kind of things in mind. I'm not sure what my expectation was. No, that makes sense. And I completely agree with you that picking a language, especially when you're familiar with and, and being willing to focus on that, tends to pay dividends in the long run. One of the biggest issues I guess I see in tech at times is that people are constantly grabbing for the new thing. And that distracts them from really developing any sort of strong foundation with anything else. I even think that's part of the issue with people who are learning at first is that they spend so much time trying to pick all the right things to learn that if they had just dove in with the first few things they saw, they probably would have had more progress than spending a lot of time. Like I actually just talked to somebody recently who had emailed me and basically she had been trying to get into coding for a while and she had talked to her, I think it was her boyfriend and other people at work. And she kept trying to find the best resources. And I basically was blunt and said, it really sounds like you're you know, talking about all the ways to learn this thing 
And I see this with business too. People talk about starting a business rather than actually starting a business. And I was like, but what you really need to be doing right now is to stop emailing me or anybody else. Just pick something and go with it. And I don't care what resource you use. It almost does not matter. You just need to focus on learning. I agree with you 100% that you heard the same thing from Jackie and myself. Like It's about getting reps in. Coming into it, I agree. Just pick one and go. Like, hey, is it? <laughs> I said, go. Is it going to be successful? Nobody has a you know, crystal ball. But part of the exercise is part of what I wanted to get out of it, or maybe I was trying to confirm something that I assumed, is that if Jackie comes by and she says, hey, I've got this billion-dollar idea and I'd like you to be a part of it, we're doing everything and go. I want to have the confidence that I can jump into something and get far enough along where I can connect the dots and I can, I can get something out. I can run the test. I can get it to production. I can monitor it. I can you know, get some sense of what's going on. That's where I wanted to be. Have I got news for you? I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's not a project. But yeah, on the front of learning things, an advantage that I didn't really realize, like I knew I had it, but I didn't really consider it until a conversation I had, I think last week or this week, was about concepts like garbage collection. I would have learned that in my computer science classes. And there are things that I just kind of knew about going into this that I didn't really think about as in terms of like when I'm learning it on the job in an ops role. Maybe that's not something that just gets presented to you. It might be like those kind of concepts that you need to learn outside of just the code. And that's kind of been interesting to figure out like how do you review either like best practices across different languages or different architecture patterns, which is not my strength. But (laughs) trying to figure that out while learning the language can be pretty overwhelming and just figuring out where to start. I think it's hard to focus on right away because you almost need to experience doing it the wrong way for the right way to actually make sense. So much this. <laughs> I agree. You know, the patterns, just patterns. That's something that I was kind of looking for. Like, what do I see people doing? What do I see in these projects? But it, that's a thing that I think you don't need to know right away. You know, if I'm talking in this onboarding, I'm, I'm grabbing somebody that's fresh and I'm saying, hey, we're doing everything in code, but this is a million dollar idea. Get with it. Let's get excited. I'm not going to say, now you need to know how to do distributed systems globally. Like, that's not. It. You don't need to know those patterns yet. But what would I get think more of the case, you know, is hey, here's how you do a controller. Here's how you do, you know, mapping. I'll tell you the patterns. I'll give you maybe some examples. Yeah, get your reps in. Get your reps in, make mistakes. Then we'll talk about patterns later on. Hi everyone, panelist John Calhoun here. As many of you know, when I'm not recording GoTime episodes, I create programming courses. Some of these are paid and that keeps the lights on at my house, so thank you to anyone who has purchased one of those. But I also offer free courses. One of those free courses is Gopher Sizes. It's a series of 20 Go programming exercises and in each exercise we build something new or improve upon something we built in a previous exercise. Each exercise is designed to teach you something unique about Go and they're also a lot of fun. So if you want to check it out, you can do that at gophersizes.com slash go time. That's G-O-P-H-E-R-C-I-S-E-S dot com slash go time. Or you can think of it as gopher plus exercises mashed together into one word because that's where it came from. Sean, you're mentioning getting your reps in, and Jackie, you mentioned earlier that you've quit in the past a couple of times, so you were kind of like, you almost went in with that expectation. So when somebody's jumping in here and learning about a new language, I mean, Go, like if you have any Go-specific tips, obviously they're helpful, but this is really any language or learning to program in general. How do you keep yourself motivated, or like what advice do you give to people who are, you know, in that first week, how do you keep it so you continue through the whole first week and that you move on to the next week? That's a really good question. For me, it was having these bite-sized programs or like challenges that I could just do a little bit of every day. So I I, I was doing the Lighthouse Labs JavaScript challenge before this, which kind of set me up into like having a story that continues over a couple of days and just doing 10 to 30 minutes of coding every one of those days. And that was how, you know, I'd get my coffee and I'd start my challenge before the workday started. 
And I found that was really good to kind of keep me accountable to it. Also, the streaming was really good to keep me accountable to it because, you know, you're live streaming, you're there, you're committed. Suddenly it's a lot more serious than, okay, I'm just going to sit on my couch and try to write it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like I did try to quit. I don't know how many times and viewers would be like, don't quit. You're almost there. Like just do it. And that's how I stayed on one of my live streams 90 minutes later than I was planning on going to bed at. (laughs) But, you know, I did actually get it done and it worked really well. (laughs) That's awesome. So. Were you live streaming every day then? Pretty close to it. There was a couple of flights around the country in the middle there for Christmas and some other stuff, but I was doing my best to stream every day until I was in houses that didn't have good enough internet for it. But then I'd already kind of got the pattern, so I was still doing the exercises on my own. And did you find that people were actually showing up frequently, like expecting you to be there and like kind of motivating you to keep doing it? I think so. I was in a streamer Discord called Party Corgi which was awesome. And I would post in there when I was about to stream and a lot of other people there are streamers. So they would usually come by and show up. And then I also tweeted as far as consistency. I don't know. I think there was a couple of people that generally showed up. And then I think I was around like five to 11 viewers concurrently usually, which was, you know, a lot more than I expected for, Hey, one minute, I'm just going to go read these docs on stream. And, uh, <laughs> try to narrate them to you so you don't leave while I'm doing this. But yeah, there was people that were consistently there and it was nice because it was kind of like having this little support circle that I really didn't expect this. Like I expected streaming to be more like people coming in and being like, hey, you're doing that wrong. (laughs) Like, hey, why didn't you do this? So it was was really nice. I'm going to paint a picture. This is uh, very similar. Like I'd said, every rep counts. I've been to the gym. You guys been to the gym, maybe not lately, uh, but it's kind of the same experience. Like you definitely went out and you kind of said, Hey, I'm going to go to the gym. I put it on a schedule and I'm going. And maybe you have a gym buddy. I think everything goes better. You know, you're pairing, you had some accountability. And I basically said, ah, I'm going to buy some weights and I'm going to put them out here. And this was my path. I didn't put any like deadline or I didn't have any severe accountability. I was kind of fitting it in, but it was my number one focus. But still, not only is it going to be stickier for you, I think that accountability, yeah, I think you probably went further faster. I do think having the timeline and the accountability, because, you know, interviews are pretty good motivators. <laughs> I think that really helped me to be more dedicated to it. Consistency is something that I tend to struggle with throughout my career. And like, I'm pretty vocal about it on Twitter, but I've got ADHD. So that's one of those like known things that's hard. <laughs> So having that tight deadline gets kicks in that sense of like, we cannot procrastinate, like we got to do this today. And then having those people to just, when it was getting hard and I was scared, I just wasn't going to be able to do it. Having those people just cheerleading is what really helped to get through and learn so much so fast. I know another resource I found is there's this 100 days of code hashtag that you'll see on Twitter at times that I think Alex Calloway is who started it. But basically, the idea is that you sign up publicly to do 100 days of at least one hour a day of coding. And I know at first that sounds like a lot. And realistically, even in my mind, I'm like, if you want to take like Sundays off or something, like I would be okay with that. But I do really like the idea of being accountable and being public about it so that like you have this motivation of if I don't do it, somebody might notice that I skipped a day or something. And it, it sometimes sucks because you don't want to like guilt people into working on something. But at the same time, almost everything worthwhile takes effort and work when you don't want to do it. Like, Deshaun, you were talking about the gym. Nobody likes going to the gym every single time they have to go. Like, sure, you might like it 90% of the time, but there's going to be that day where you're like, I really don't want to go to the gym today. It's a great metaphor. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you don't stick it out, it really can just lead to you quitting altogether. Like, missing one time all of a sudden leads to skipping two. And Jackie, when you had mentioned doing it live, I guess I kind of compared it almost to like having a trainer. Like if you have some the live audience there, I found that people at the gym, when they have a trainer, half the reason they're not paying the trainer necessarily for anything aside from accountability. Yes. That's actually how I got the gym to work for me is I had a personal trainer who was one of my friends and going into that space and she just showed up and would be like, we're going to do this today. And I'd be like, are we really doing those things? I don't know if I can lift those weights. And she's like, you can lift those weights. You just don't think you can lift those weights. <laughs> I like. Yeah. So it was, it was good. Again, with that metaphor, I think it's an anything. I'm an old man. I got kids. I have to like, I have to know what I'm about. I have to be like, Hey, this is how things work. And regarding hundred days of code, I think if you can do anything for a hundred days straight, like I can't even get 5,000 steps for a hundred days straight. Right. But if I, 
commit, if you can do something, I think you can change your life. No matter what it is. Hey, it's drawing a picture. You know, it's writing a go, it's doing anything. Yeah, and there's value behind that. The problem with this exercise is like, hey, I'm jumping in. And if I want to do that, I have to kind of know where I'm going. And what that framework didn't provide was like, hey, you want to do go? Yeah, step, 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 step. These are things that you should do. You kind of have to go out and find the exorcism that you're going to pull in. So yeah, I definitely see the value in that. Uh, but even that, I think you need some, some guidance. You know, and I think that's why a lot of people do that exercise on Twitch or on live because they have, oh, okay, so I got through this is the thing. And now what should I do next? And if you've got an audience, and it only takes one person to kind of put you in the next step. That reminds me that I totally forgot to mention, but right after the exorcism exercises, one of my friends was building out like an API in Go that he just wanted to do some things to learn. So it was really nice to be like, hey, I've tried these exercises, but you know, they kind of hold your hand through it. So how about I try building something that I don't know what that looks like yet? So it was really nice that we did these pairing sessions just on Zoom and we would just sit down and pair and he would talk through what he wanted to build. And I would kind of drive while building it because he more or less knew what he was doing, but it was it was a really nice opportunity to get that experience in. Okay, like, how am I going to build the structure for this? How am I going to try and think of what functions it's going to call or you know what API paths it needs? And that was very complementary to the more guided exercises too. Yeah. I've even found that there's a lot of communities focused in t- exclusively on this like basically forming a study group to hold each other accountable and to give each other ideas of where to go next. I think Reddit's a pretty common place. I don't remember the exact subreddits, but I know there's a couple there where people will essentially just have a study group and they're like, this is the problem we're working on today. And like, here's tomorrow's problem. And that sort of helps everybody keep motivated to keep up with the group and to work on this stuff. And I think, I don't know, part of my experience with school was that a major part of going to a university and learning computer science there was that you worked with other students. Like you actually had that collaboration. You had a teacher setting a pace. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges to self-guided learning is keeping a pace and having people to work with. Absolutely. And I can go ahead and give a shout out to uh, Jim and Jesse for my computer science program back at university, having that community to get through things. You know, I'd say today, we probably don't need to have those study buddies. You're probably not sitting in class as much now in June, 2020, but having that accountability, having somebody there with you along the way. And just like you said, like that study group, I think that that's huge. And even at work, uh, you know, as you're kind of going through and you're learning, again, I think it fits with anything. I think that probably the biggest thing is like, yeah, have somebody that you can bounce things off of. I've got a coworker, Sean, that I, you know, we're learning new stuff. There's always new technology that we have to pick up. But every once in a while, we, let's just sync up. Like, what do you think about this? And you heard this or you saw that. It's a Zoom call, right? Just to bounce ideas back, have somebody else that's on the journey uh, trying to get better. I think already I've realized that, man, you know what? The path that I took, even though it was easy, even though it kind of fit my schedule, if I really wanted to adopt and maybe take a step in my career path, I think Jackie did it. It's like, hey, let's go. Let's get our feet wet. And then cannonball in the deep end. It's funny that you say that because I actually have the opposite perspective of you with you going and looking at tickets where you're like, oh, they're, they're flagged for new people. How do you contribute? I am still absolutely terrified of doing my first open source commit. <laughs> Sorry, coworkers, I'll do it soon. <laughs> but <laughs> I've been wanting to sit on that and do that. I know there's those flagged for new people, but I think that takes a lot of courage because for mine, it was like, I'm just doing this exercise and it's going to go there. And honestly, nobody's probably going to look at it other than the mentors. And that's it's pretty safe space. <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and ask John to help us out. We're going to jump onto Jackie's uh, stream. We're going to find an issue <laughs> of one of these projects. And you can mentor us as we look for one of these good for first timers and commit some OSS. I'm super here for this. We'll follow up on it. <laughs> yes, to do. I'm going to go ahead and open up a ticket. I think it's important to also note that, that what works for each person is going to be slightly different. Like I know, like Jackie said, some people jumping into an open source project is absolutely terrifying. For others, if you've gotten familiar with doing it, even if it's as simple as looking at the docs, sometimes that can be like an entryway into a new language is looking at docs, trying to look at the code to sort of see if you can help update some docs or do something. That is contributing. But yeah, no, it is contributing. Well, I mean, like it, it can also lead to understanding the language, even if you don't know it that well, because you start to like, you're reading the docs and you're like, this is what it says it does. Now I can look at the code and like try to understand how it's actually doing that. Yeah. But then I've even seen 
you know, some people who take books and courses and they don't necessarily have exercises like Jackie said, but what they'll do is they'll take the content in the book or the course or whatever it is, and they'll slightly modify it their second pass and be like, can I build something like what they're teaching, but not exactly the same? And that, you know, pushes them outside of their boundaries a little bit. And even the live streaming bit, one of the things I've seen a lot of people do is they start blogging about what they're learning as a way of just sort of sharing it publicly. And that forces them to really think about what they're learning. You know, sort of like Jackie, if you're, if you're trying to verbalize what you're reading in the docs, that probably helps make sure you understand it rather than skimming something and just being like, well, I think I know what that means, whatever. So like all these different approaches, I think a lot of them have the same fundamental benefits. They're just different ways that you know each person is comfortable with. Absolutely. So then I'm going to step out of that that thread for a little bit. And I'm going to say, Hey, you know, coming in, she's trying to understand the language. I, I kind of have some language experience and I have the enterprisey, like, Hey, this is all the things that can go wrong. And this is the distributed stuff. So I wasn't as worried about doing actual development as I was about getting go code in production. What does that look like? And again, I guess we're coming at it from different perspectives. I think I could tell that some because you immediately started thinking about Docker. And I'm guessing Jackie didn't once consider using Docker to run her Go stuff. I could be wrong. Oh, I did. Oh, you did? I, okay. <laughs> I, have, a, I have a pretty strong background with Docker and Kubernetes. So actually, my, my very first Go, <laughs> before I started learning Go, it was Blackapod. I pulled that repository and then got it to run with a new Kubernetes setup locally and had a lot of Go troubleshooting for paths and stuff. But that was the very first one. and. I liked it, but it was kind of like, okay, I'm distracting myself and I'm pulling myself away from the learning that's uncomfortable that I need to do to focus on stuff I'm kind of familiar with already. Yeah. So. Okay. So I guess I'm, I'm the lone person here who avoided Docker the whole time <laughs> just because it's not something I had a lot of experience with. And I was like, I'm just going to stick with installing it on my machine because it was something I got comfortable doing. Yeah. If you didn't have the experience one thing at a time, right? That's cool. But we talked about comfort. And the value, it was a picture that made sense. And I'd heard it before framed different ways. Like, you know, when you push yourself out of your comfort zone, that's when you're growing. But it was drawn as like a circle with a circle in the middle. In the center, that's your comfort zone. The closer you get out to that edge, that's where you learn. And the whole goal is to try to be in that uncomfortable outside, like no toes in the water, like be in that deep end outside of your comfort zone. That's where you're going to learn the most. That again ties back to why I think Jackie's path. She just jumped in. I think that that was, and the pairing. I think that that's going to make it sticky. No, definitely. If anybody has an opportunity to get a mentor pair, or even if you just get the opportunity to jump in and watch somebody else live stream and ask questions, I, I also think that's another valuable approach. And it can be less intimidating than driving yourself with other people watching. Definitely. I'm I'm very lucky to have had a mentor since I think my first month in the industry. So he's been my mentor for five years now. And it's been really nice that he's continued to grow with me. And that's been just such like a influence on being able to learn faster. Cause I spent I think the first two years of my career just like looking up everything I could to one day meet with him and be like, I know something you don't. <laughs> it took two years, <laughs> but it happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another uh, training metaphor, paired metaphor kind of thing in life. There's always somebody out in front, right? That you're, ah, oh, you know, your mentor, your buddy, John. You're like, I, I want to get to where he's at. Like he's doing stuff. John's still moving forward, right? John's doing stuff. Maybe he changed the direction, but he's out front. But there's always somebody behind you too. And this is a, a kind of another, you know, you're you're in the gym doing your reps. What if that, you know, the young son, you know, the kid across the hall. What if he's looking at you? He's you're in front of him, and they're watching for you to do the example. So that's the high five to the doing it live, right? Putting yourself out there and realizing, hey, maybe there's somebody that hasn't done any programming whatsoever and they want to get to where you are. I'll try not to tangent too much, but yeah, it's so important, I think, to have examples of people that aren't doing it perfectly and they're learning because like imposter syndrome is really real in our industry. There's a lot of like, you look at it, you don't get it and you're just like, okay, maybe tech's just not for me. And I firmly believe that tech is for everybody. You just need the right problems and the right kind of approach. The other thing that would be really good for people learning to contribute is if you go through the docs and it doesn't make sense to you, but you eventually figure it out, 
go back and contribute. Yes. <laughs> it's such a good way to learn. You get experience with the community and you're helping somebody else not have the same problems in the future. So that was the other note that I wanted to circle back because you know, we talked about, you know, contributing to docs is valuable. Hey, you know what? I'm new here. This didn't make sense to me. That is valuable. Somebody's going to appreciate that. And you know, it might change. It might, you know, somebody says, oh, you know what? We explained it in two different ways on this one. Maybe that would help over here. But yeah, the contributing to docs is huge. And I also think that going and answering uh, Stack Overflow questions is super valuable for the community. One day when I am bold. <laughs> My biggest challenge with Stack Overflow questions has always been that if you're a beginner, it sometimes can be frustrating that all the beginner questions either get flagged as a duplicate or answered really quickly. And you're like, when do I get to jump in? It would be nice to have something like a first timers only type tag for Stack Overflow too. Mm -hmm. My answer on that was it can be intimidating, right? And there's people and they got like 100,000 points or whatever that measure is. And yeah, it can be intimidating. But I think that that organization, the way they do things, I think it's kind of like a game. Like, oh, hey, you answered your first question. But just reading the questions, even if it's already been answered, read the questions. Like, is that something I could figure out? Like, what would I do if I wanted to figure that out? Maybe I'm not ready to answer it. Maybe I'll go over here and I'll try. Like, let me take it for a run. That's kind of, I think, I can imagine that's what I was doing. It was like, ah, I didn't understand. I think that I understand. Go, let me see if any of these questions make sense to me. Do I even understand the question? If I don't, maybe I should get a couple more reps in. Changelog News is the best way to keep up with the fast-moving software world. We track, blog, and contextualize the coolest projects, the best practices, and the biggest stories each and every week. Make changelog.com your daily destination or hit the snooze button and subscribe to our weekly newsletter that hits inboxes on Sunday mornings. Join more than 15,000 enthusiastic readers. It'll cost you exactly $0 and you can subscribe right now at changelog.com weekly. All right, so taking a step in a slightly different direction. Now that you two have jumped in to go and you've tried to learn it for, you know, for at least some short period of time, were there any mistakes or pitfalls that you think that people should try to avoid or things that you wish you had done differently? I wish I would have started with a pair. I wish I had a buddy to do it with me. I'm looking at my repository to try and jog my memory here, but... Uh... I think like my main one is pretty general is I tend to be too, I guess, perfectionist or anxious about submitting things. And that's what gets me out of actually doing the work and submitting it. So I think that's, that's probably my biggest one is to try and just be more gentle with myself and to be okay submitting, like pushing out work in progress code so that it can get reviews and I can learn faster. <laughs> it's still hard. <laughs> I know it's not Go specific, but that's the, the main one jumping out at me. No, that makes sense though. I think you both mentioned it, that like seeing people who are human, who make mistakes, who you just don't write the perfect version of code the first time is, is very valuable. And I think having that history is, is often like you view it as, oh, people are going to see these mistakes and think that I didn't know what I was doing. But on the other hand, somebody who's coming along later might learn more from it because they're sort of seeing that thought process, which is equally valuable to actually seeing the final solution. 100%. That's exactly why I wanted the repository. Like, I wanted to go see, like, were the baby steps that you took? Yeah, comments are important. But having somebody. So now I've, I've got somebody that I can reach out to. You know, when I've got questions, I'm going to reach out to Jackie. I'm going to reach out to John. And uh, yeah, it's a great place to be in. So Deshaun, you were focusing on getting something up in production. Was there anything specific there, like specific about Go that either made that easier or harder that you found? I still, like, kind of hesitated and this is going to sound weird, like I kind of had this image of go, I didn't know the ecosystem at all. I didn't know how it was delivered. I didn't know anything. And uh, I had this kind of like, it was magic. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. And uh, yeah, kind of understanding 
the cool thing was I didn't have to do a bunch of crazy pipelines uh, in order to get it. I was using you know build packs, so that was it made it a little bit easier. But yeah, I don't think there's anything that really like uh, threw me off or put a blocker on anything. It felt comfortable. It felt easy, to be honest. It was like a yeah, it was like an old friend. It was like, hey, let's go for a bike ride and we're doing stuff. Okay, so one final question, I guess, uh, related to this is you both said you had history with other languages. So when you came to Go, how did that language feel to you? Did it feel easy to read and understand comparatively or were some things throwing you off? I say this because everybody has a different history as to where they come from. And I think you try to relate things to what you previously knew. But I didn't know, like Jackie, you'd kind of said that it sounded like you had some languages used at school, but you never like had you know 10 years of working on the job using java building big things so like you didn't have a lot of things stuck in your head that were like really hard to get out of that mindset so it was go easy to switch because of that or into because of that and Deshaun, like when you were looking at the stuff you know was it easy to pick up in that sense or how was the language i guess so i guess that very first time i was coming out of a background with object-oriented programming and not a lot of like actual career programming so it was a lot of theory and kind of doing stuff and you know you're doing the functions and this textbook's old and it's like a 10-year deprecated function and <laughs> that's kind of what my school experience was like so coming into go the first time one of my coworkers was trying to help teach me it and they kept talking about like it's a functional language it's a functional language but i didn't understand what the difference was so it felt like I spent most of that time just trying to wrap my head around it, but not really actually implementing it or practicing or learning it very well. So I think that's why I quit the first time is it just was like, I don't know how to wrap my head around this. I don't know why this isn't fitting. Let's see. The second time, it felt a lot easier. So compared to my more recent experiences would have been I've done Python on and off throughout my career. And then recently, I also learned GDScript to try and hack together a video game. And I feel like both of those had a lot of environment set up that had to be done. Like it was a lot more kind of bespoke. You're putting these pieces together to make sure it will run. And a lot of troubleshooting, like, oh, this didn't run. Why? What's wrong with this? Whereas I felt like with Go, I basically installed it and it just kind of ran. I think I might have had like a path issue once, but for the most part, that wasn't a thing I was troubleshooting. And that felt really nice. I just got to go forward and focus on building things and learning. So the second time, did you spend a lot of time thinking about like, is this an object-oriented language or is this like functional or did you just like move past that in code? This time I was like, we're not even going to look at the word function. We're just, unless it's funk, but you know, <laughs> we're just going to go in and we're just going to follow the steps and no overthinking, no over-architecting, no hitting my head against the wall because, oh, what if this is not what I think it is? Just, just do the thing. <laughs> yeah. Just do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I'm your trainer. We're just going to come in. All we're going to do is air squats. Just do the thing. Like a good air squat from bad air squat, not that big of a difference, but there's a difference. Like we got to do it. Yeah, just do the thing. That's it. I was coming in, you know, figuring out syntax. That didn't seem like that was going to be like a real issue. Comfort, like was it easy to read? It was. It felt easy. I wasn't trying to go any further than I needed to get Hello World in production. You know, have some confidence that I could keep it up. And have some confidence. I knew how, to, knew how to measure. Knew how to like, hey, is it running? Like, I wanted to be able to answer those questions. I think that next step uh, is getting into like, what does the language do well? And I think every language has its strengths and weaknesses. Do I need to get there? So if I'm onboarding and I'm trying to, you know, get a part of this language and be a part of the community, do I need to know its strengths and weaknesses, or do I need to just get more reps? And I think it's a latter. I think I just need to go in. If I enjoy the community, I think that makes a big difference. If I've got support and leadership, I think that makes a big difference. Go in and get some reps. I think community is something that it comes up a lot on this podcast, at least, because between like the Gopher Slack um, and just generally the, the code of conduct that's enforced everywhere and the people that I, at least, at least I interact with in the Go ecosystem are all very welcoming and like they try to be very tolerant of all different views and anything like that. And they don't like put up with any abuse or any other, you know, stuff like that, which is, which is really helpful compared to other languages where that's not always the case. It doesn't feel welcoming everywhere. I thought that the Go community was magic and that they had figured out how to block all the bad people from their Slack channel, from the repos. But I went over to my mother-in-law's and I was still able to get in. So that wasn't it. <laughs> I don't know how or what the community is amazing. And yeah, I feel like I got pulled in 
by the community. Like, hey, we're over, everybody's over here having fun. So yeah, that was it. There was no career goal. There was no anything else. I was academic, but this was the next one I was going to do. That's what happened to me last year in the summer too. I was like, I'm not really planning on writing any go in the near future. And I'd made some friends in the local Toronto community that were like, well, why don't you just come to the go meetup anyway? And I was like, okay, sure. sure. <laughs> I'll try. And everyone right. was just so friendly and welcoming and just, it didn't even matter. Like I was like, I haven't installed go or anything. They're like, yeah, we still want your questions. Like ask, ask as a beginner. And is actually one of those Toronto community members that referred me to come to this podcast. And I was like, I haven't done that much in Go, are you sure? And she's just like, yes, yes, go go do this, go talk. And I'm really happy because it's all around the community. It's just been such a nice, supportive experience. I think it's important to focus on that too, because if you just focus on like the person or the people with 20 years of experience programming who are coming to Go and like can pick this up quickly, like you lose out on an entire generation of new views. And like it, it might seem easier up front in the sense that there's less support and also, you know, you don't have to tolerate whatever you aren't comfortable with or whatever you don't know. But I think long-term you're shooting yourself in the foot. You know, it's not a good long-term plan. Okay. So we always do a segment called the unpopular opinion. So if either of you have one, you don't have to share one, but it's completely up to you. We ask for an unpopular opinion. It can be related to tech or not related to tech. So do either of you have something you'd like to share? I have one. I, I think that pair programming is an unpopular opinion. You know, I did it early in my career, took a lot of time off. Like companies, a lot of companies are afraid to adopt it. I work for a company that I think does it really well, but I still think it's an unpopular opinion that pair programming, mod programming... Uh, I think that's the way things are going to be done if you want to be successful in the future. I think the closest I have is that uh, hopefully it's not controversial here because that'd make me sad, but that documentation contribution is contribution that is as important and sometimes more important than just the actual code. And I see a lot of that where people always kind of drop the docs. That's the closest thing I have right now, but <laughs> you know, it's important. It builds up that how do we bring people into our circle that's building this tech and expand and then be able to build better things together. So. Hopefully not too much of a hot take here, but <laughs> I, th I think it is. I think it's a hot take and yeah, let's fight the good fight. Like keep preaching it. It's one of those things that I agree with Jackie. I really hope it's not a hot take because anybody who's run an open source project should realize that the docs are so valuable. Like they, not only do they make sure you're understanding it and bring people into it, but they also free up other people to write more code and build more features because they're not supporting people who have questions, who don't understand things like it just compounds so quickly and, and is such a big deal. Maybe the hot take is docs in the enterprise. Docs for the code that your enterprise is making money on. Maybe that's the hot take. The value in those teams. I've I've seen those teams, you know who you are. Like they do so much and uh yeah, they get little recognition when yeah, they put on a lot of work, a lot of valuable work. And Deshaun, I completely agree with you that pair programming is an undervalued way of coding. Matt's not here, unfortunately, but he pair programs exclusively when he's building his new startup called Pace. And I've done some pair programming with a friend of mine, and I've talked to Matt about it a good bit. And it's one of those things that I think from a higher up, like a manager's perspective, they view this as we've got two developers only producing like one set of output. And I think they miss the fact that there's a lot of small tasks, not even small, but there's a lot of follow-up tasks to coding that can be sort of skipped or expedited. One great one is code review. If somebody was there when you coded the whole thing, code review is not really this long process where they're trying to figure it out. It's, hey, I, I was there the whole time. I, you know, We discussed all of this already. It's already in a good state. But then even beyond that, like you just get multiple perspectives from everything. If somebody falls sick or they need to go to another company, you know, whatever happens, you have somebody else who understands the code. There's just so much there that I think people miss. And it's so valuable to have. And especially like junior developers too is another spot where I see it is getting them up to speed so they can start contributing. Pair programming does wonders compared to any other approach. Yes. That's it. The example that I always give is the, the alt tab or whatever, you know, operating. There, there's keystrokes that you did, like control E, control A. You saw somebody else do that. 
Like you didn't read the docs to go and figure out like, I want to switch between these windows. Where, where would I find that? I didn't even know how you'd find it. What would you look for? But it's that it's those things that I've got a, hundreds of them along the way that I picked up when I was not necessarily paired programming, but I was sitting next to somebody and they were doing, I said, well, what did you just do there? And that's where you get things. But now formalize it. None of those get missed, right? The whole team gets it. So yeah. I feel like I could do an entire podcast episode on just pair programming and maybe I will in the future, but um, I did have a team. I'm there. Yes. Okay. I'm writing that down too. But I did have a team where um, we were a DevOps team that was supporting about seven different products. Some were going live, some were old. It was, there's a lot going on. And we made this push that all tasks should be pair programmed. And we did get a lot of pushback that was like, well, there's only like four of you and we have all this stuff going on. It needs to go to prod. Like we don't have time for you to do that. We don't have the luxury of pair programming. And what ended up happening was that we pushed back, we did the pair programming. And like, you know, there's that first bump where you're like, what's the best practice for pair programming? We literally Googled that and (laughs) found the first thing and ran with that where we, you know, you'd do like 15 minutes driving and then you'd swap. And the person that wasn't driving would be taking the documentation notes as you go. So now you've already got doc notes and it's working. And it just, at the end of the day, it, it saved us so much time. As you mentioned, like you get that context that you might not have gotten otherwise and lots of learning experiences. And then we would have another person do the code review that wasn't somebody that worked on it just to get that third kind of set of eyes on it. And it just felt great. I enjoy talking to different people about their processes with pair programming because it's interesting how many different approaches there are, but how they all still seem to work depending on the people. Because I think like Matt and David, I've gotten the impression that they'll, somebody will drive for like hours sometimes and they're just like, whatever. Um, it's just whoever decides to drive that day. But they've also been pair programmed, I think like five years. So it's probably a slightly different you know, setup. But I mean, even then you're talking about like the tools you use. I, I think anybody who wants to do it, like literally just jump into Zoom, like any video chat and just start going and you'll figure out some stuff along the way. Like maybe we need to do something different, but I think it's worth diving into and trying. My pro tip there is that things like Adam and VS Code have a remote pairing option. So you can create a session and actually go through the code together so that you're not like scrolling and it's like, no, wait, no, scroll back up to that line. Oh, wait, no, down. Yep. That's something we didn't talk on here. Like, hey, getting in. Don't worry about having the right IDE or anything like that. You know, VI is fine or Nano or I don't want to have that fight. But just get in to any editor and go, don't worry about the tool set so much. But yeah, the pairing. There are ways you can level up that pairing, especially doing it remote. Yeah, my argument for that for people generally tends to be that the first editor I ever used was Notepad, which if anybody's used Notepad on Windows, it's terrible. But you built several things with that. And then even beyond that, I did like programming competitions in college and my team made it to world finals and I used this. It it was slightly more than, I think it was called K-Edit. It's in Linux. It's just like a default editor there. And I wrote Java code in K-Edit without any autocomplete, anything else. And our team still managed to make it all the way to world finals doing that. So obviously, if you can manage that, it's not that it's not eventually worth looking at them, but it's not a big enough barrier to keep you from learning a language. Not for the 101. Yeah. It's been a good exercise. This has been fun. Yeah, definitely. So Jackie and Deshaun, thank you both for joining. It's been wonderful having you both. Is there anything you'd like to say before we close up? Well, I wasn't prepared for this, and I should have been. You can just say goodbye. That's all you have to do. Yeah, I mean, like, if anyone wants to talk remote pair programming, I've got lots of things to say. I didn't say them today, but I'm more than happy to. If you want to get started in any of the communities, again, I'm more than happy to try and help you get through that or talk through it. Feel free to DM me on Twitter, DevOps Jackie. My DMs are always open. And then outside of that, thank you so much for having me here. This has been a really great chat and I was kind of nervous, but this went really well and I really enjoyed it. And I actually, I'm walking away learning some things. So that's the best kind of experience. <laughs> me too. You know, get your feet wet. It's a great community to get into. I felt like it was easy. Uh, I think that pair, pair, pair. If you have the opportunity to pair, do that. But if not, every rep counts. Well, thank you both for being here and everybody else. Thank you for listening to Go Time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Go Time is brought to you by amazing people at Companies Who Get It. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar for their continued support. Speaking of getting it, could you or your organization benefit from reaching directly into the ear holes of the Go community? You too can support Go Time. Sponsor the show and get your message out there for all to hear. 
Check out the details at changelog.com slash sponsor. We'd love to work with you. This episode was hosted by John Calhoun with special guests Jackie Grindrod and Deshaun Carter. It was produced by me, Jared Santo, and all of our music is provided by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. That's all for now. We'll talk to you again next time.